Hey, everybody, welcome to the Addiction Unlimited podcast, where you get to learn everything you want to know about addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Angela Pugh, co-founder of Kansas City Recovery, life coach, and recovering alcoholic. To learn more about me, you can listen to episode zero on your podcast app or find us on the web at addictionunlimited.com. Hey, Nick, thanks so much for coming on and doing this with me. I am so intrigued to get more into this conversation, and I know our audience is going to love this as well. So why don't we start out and just take a minute and tell everybody a little bit about you and who you are and what you do. Well, my name is Nick Pollard. I'm known as the people displeaser on uh, Instagram and TikTok. Um, I've been a coach for just over a decade. I started out in um, dating coaching years and years and years ago, and then moved my way into addiction and um, the external validation spaces because I realized through the dating work and through my own addictions that the ideas of external validation were sabotaging who I wanted to be and what I was capable of. So. I started to really focus on that and to help other people as well as to learn myself. And that's, that's brought me to where I am today, which is, I guess, what is now a, a relatively leading resource on people pleasing and not necessarily as much codependency, but uh, that always plays a part. So yeah, um, right. it, it's, it's kind of a, we'll call it a dual working. Um, <laughs> but I know a lot about addiction. I know a lot about people pleasing. I know about how they work together. I know how they play on each other. And I've been very fortunate to have launched a very successful business through the spaces of TikTok and Instagram and, and Facebook and to really get known for this and help a lot of people. And I, that's why I'm here today. Let's see who can, who can, who can we help? Yes. Amen to that. Okay. The first thing I want to start with, because I'm really big on buzzwords, but I'm big on explaining in detail what the buzzwords mean. So you said external validation. And I want to take a minute to dig into that and, and let everybody, because I think as professionals, obviously we speak in lingo, right? We're used to this language. We get used to the concepts and it's the same thing in AA, right? We have our one-liners and cliche, all those things, right? But the general public doesn't always understand what those things entail. So give us a lesson on external validation. I think the easiest way to explain external validation is social media. What you see now is people that, you know, uh, I read yesterday, for instance, that the average person spends three hours a day on social media, which is an absolutely absurd number. And what are they doing? They're looking at the highlight reels of other people's lives and they're making comparisons based on that to who they are. And that is kind of the basis now of what it means to be externally validated. You take a picture and you put it on Instagram, not because you want to be you, you want to remember that a year from now and go back to your own Instagram and look at it. You put it up there so other people will see it. And it's become where photos are no longer a repository of memories. They're a repository of inward action. So, or, you know, looking outward for other people to tell you what you're doing is okay. And advertising has been in that space for, for years and years and years, right? And really, most people just want to know that Mm-hmm. And when you have spaces now that exist in such broad terms as to, you know, I, I, I post every day on social media, right? And I even still like get really hung up on the vanity metrics. Like nobody liked it. What's wrong with me? 
right? And I do it for a living. So I can't imagine what other people are going through in that way. But to me, that's what external validation means. It means looking outwardly to validate who you are as a person, as a mother or a father, as a daughter, as a brother, as a, as a, as a husband or wife. It's taking the ideas of everyone else and making them into your And like judging yourself, is that, am I hearing that correctly? Like you're looking at the external things of other people, but putting a judgment on yourself as to whether or not you measure up. More than that, you're looking, yes. So you are looking outwardly and saying, okay, well, they have all this stuff. Right. Also with that, you're putting yourself out there. You see this in like the van life stuff where it almost, van life almost feels like the best competition and who can take the best photo at Big Sur seems to be what van life. Um, so I (laughs) I just think it's all, it's all kind of nonsense. Yeah, it is easy to get caught up in the vanity of all of it though. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I know for me in doing video, that was always one of my greatest challenges, right? Certainly as a female, not saying that guys don't care, but girls definitely, there are more things involved for us to care about makeup and hair and all of that. Mm -hmm. So I would get so stressed out about, you know, as my weight would fluctuate or things like that, right? And some days my cheeks are fatter and some days my hooded eyelids are more hooded and you can get really caught up in those things and it makes you not want to be seen. And I remember I had a coach a few years ago and she's like, well, yeah, that's nice, Angela, but you should probably take a minute and realize that this isn't about you. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. look at me, the good little alcoholic thinking about myself again. <laughs> you right. know? But it was such a great reminder that like, it's not about me. It, she said, you're here to serve, right? You're talking to a camera to serve people and help people. Nobody cares what you look like. Yeah, right. which isn't entirely true because, you know, people love to tell me when they love my hair or hate it. But, right. <laughs> but it is something that... that- Yeah. Right. Your hair looks great. Your hair looks great. (laughs) He doesn't have any for anybody that's not watching the video. (laughs) So what was it about this particular topic of people pleasing that really made you want to put focus on that? It was an accident. (laughs) The best things are. (laughs) It was an accident. Um, I was in a really weird spot about two years ago. And I was kind of in this turbulent situation in my life. And um, the topic just kept coming up in my mind. And I made my first video about it. And then I just kept making videos about it, kept making videos about it. Um, And then as I looked back on the trajectory of my career, really what it was, was this idea that I had been helping people get confident their whole lives. My entire career has been around helping people, you know, overcome limiting beliefs and become more confident. I thought, well, what is that about? So I, I started to make the videos. And then by that, I kind of backed into this idea of like, oh, I've been helping people pleasers my entire life. Right. And when I figured that out, it was kind of this weird moment. And I was just sitting on a porch in Huntington Beach, California going, what am I going to do with that now? Right. Um, and I just kept talking about it and talking about it. And that's you know how the following grew. But I think when I realized that confidence seems to be or the lack thereof, I'd say lack of confidence seems to be the, the larger pandemic, frankly, um, mm-hmm. in the world today. Um, you know, how can I help people feel better? Um, I suffered with it for a year. 
years and, and time to time I still suffer with it. I'm not afraid to say that even as a coach, somebody that works in the space is, you know, I have coaches, I have therapists, I have uh, people that work with me and for me to keep me moving because it's important. Um, and you can't, you know, it's, it's so funny. We will hire people to teach us anything except for about our lives, right? Somebody will teach you how to drive a car because that's important. Somebody taught you how to right. tie your shoes because that's important. Somebody taught you how to read. Um, somebody taught you how to do arithmetic. Somebody taught you how to get sober. But when it comes to personal development, we, nobody wants to hire anybody because, well, they should know. I didn't fucking know. So I, <laughs> so I just hired people. Um, I know. And it's crazy because it is there. Life skills, coping skills, right, are learned behaviors, meaning right. you have to learn it. You Somebody has to teach you. <laughs> and we are not yeah. we are not really taught a lot of those things. And I was I was doing a session with a client last night and we were talking about relationships. Relationships are uh, one of the other things that I study incessantly. Um, mm -hmm. You know, my two greatest struggles in life alcoholism and relationships. So that's what I study. But uh, we were talking about all these just different coping skills and communication skills. And he said to me, he's like, how did I get to this age and not know any of this stuff? And I was like, because nobody teaches us. <laughs> that's why you seek out coaches, right? Because you're not, I think our parents try their best, right? But nobody really taught them either. I'm like, why don't, why this should be like communication should be a course that starts in middle school and goes like to the end of life right. because communication is challenging. Even when you're really good at it, it's still hard, you know, but yeah. they are learned skills. You're right. Like you, somebody has to teach you this stuff. And there is nobody to do it, which is interesting. So, you know, we're left now with people just trying to, you know, we've got therapy talk essentially where everybody just gets on there and they listen to you and I doing talking head stuff, you know, walking down the street. That's fine. I mean, it gets the job done in some regard, but um, humans have to learn how to communicate. And I feel like that has been my gift is I'm an, I'm a very talented communicator. I'm a very empathetic communicator. Um, I don't buy into the empath narratives. I don't buy into the everybody's a narcissist narratives. Um, I fully believe that you're in control of your own decisions and your own feelings. And if you don't accept that control, then life is going to be more miserable than it's already starting out to be. And if people can't get to a place where they know that, you know, Scott Peck says it best, life is hard, period. And it's your ability to recognize that that gives you peace. Yeah. Nothing else. And to not, and not having expectations that it be any different, right. you know, because that's where the insanity, right, comes in is when, but I think this is an interesting topic too. Like I was just having coffee with my sponsor a couple of weeks ago and I was talking about, I was telling him, I was like, well, I feel like I started thinking like these last few years have been really hard. You know, like I had two startup companies at the same time, which anybody that has had one startup company knows that's madness. So mm -hmm. it's been super stressful and hard and a roller coaster ride. And I said, but then I was like, well, it's not just the last three or four years. It's like, maybe I, I can go back even farther than that, like five or six years. I go, then I realized like all of them are hard. And he started laughing. He's like, Angela, I haven't had an easy one yet. <laughs> you know? And, and no. he's in his sixties. And I was like, that's 
the light bulb moment, right? It's just understanding right. life is hard and we always want to blame it on something. Certainly in my arena, it's always recovery, right? Recovery oh, yeah. is so hard. And I'm like, it's not recovery. It's life. <laughs> right. You're going to have the same struggles even after you're, so I'll be 17 years sober next month. You're going to have the wow. same life stuff. Right. Even when you're sober and good at the sober part, life right. still happens. But yeah. it is, I feel like people think like we have some belief that if we get good at recovery, it absolves us from the responsibility of life and the difficulties that come with it. And it's like, mm, no, it just makes you better able to deal with it. You know, it, it's weird because I've never met a single person in, in the rooms or anywhere else that wanted to quit drinking because it's fun. Right. And it was fun and it wasn't fun and it was fun until it wasn't right. But you never see the, the wasn't. Yeah. You, quit. you look back at the, at the was, um, and it's, it's just always, it's just always funny because they don't, I don't think people realize that there is no magic pill for life because life just sucks. And you have to deal with the ideas that life sucks. And in between it sucking, there's these beautiful moments of happiness, your first kiss, your first love, your you know, the, the moments of joy that you get to experience when you have a baby, or when you have your first bite of ice cream, like all these awesome visceral experiences still exist and they don't exist in a vacuum. They keep coming and they keep coming and they keep coming. And I think the unfortunate news about um, living in today's society is so many people are hung up on what other people's experiences are. And I'm not And what other people are going to think. Right. What they think, what they, you know, what if, what if somebody judges me? I've, I've, had recently a few people that I've worked with that are able to to do some pretty fantastic things financially, and you know they won't talk about it because they're afraid of what other people will think, right? Like yeah. you made that success for yourself. What the what? what? Um, I don't know. It just hasn't come up, but I'm sure it will. Uh, yeah. You know, but and I'm not getting one, the time. The one time I had it come up was actually from a therapist, and his point mm. was that my that I charge more than like a PhD level therapist. And I was like, mm -hmm. well, I also do very different work, you know, sure. and, and, uh, and I have a lot of that education also just yep. PS. Right. <laughs> like, I my, have that. My too. mother is, a, <laughs> my mother is a, has a doctorate in uh, marriage and family therapy and presently yeah. works rehab centers. And I outcharge her for one. Yeah. It's, it just, um, it is what it's, it is. <laughs> and I, it's, it's not as a, it's not as a gloat. That's just the reality. Um, when you engage on the level that I engage, I mean, you're talking to me every day, you know, you're texting with me every right. day. I'm constantly right. in your face. Um, I've never met a therapist that does what I do. So I, I guess I just, I'm unapologetic. Exactly. Yes. And that's exactly it. It is different. It is a different skill set. It's a different level of commitment on my part as a coach too. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I'm really glad you said that because it is, I mean, it's a whole different animal. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about your journey to recovery. Like what point or what happened in your life that made you kind of understand that you had a bigger problem than just I can stop any time kind of situation? Well, I can tell you the day. it happened. April 16th of 2018. Um, I was sitting on a bar stool in Denver, in Denver Colorado. Um, I had been up all night with a, with a lover and was exhausted and tired. And I, I remember I walked into the bar shaky 
Um, and I, that was new to me, um, super shaky and feeling really sick. And then I took a drink and it went away and I thought, well, that's probably not good. And then I was there for another hour and a half and I had had by that point three or four vodka sodas. And, um, I was in pretty rough shape and something in my mind just clicked and I called my mom and I said, I need you to sell everything I own. I need you to pick me up, take me to a detox center so I can get this done safely. And then I need you to find me a rehab center. And that's what happened. Um, and that was the beginning of the journey. What had led to that was years and years and years of trauma. And trauma being, I, I never want to discount trauma. I really don't. I really don't want to say that, you know, some trauma. But let's be real about the fact that trauma is trauma and some is worse than others. And yeah. And while mine was bad, it's still not the worst. Right. Um, so I had the, you know, the sexual abuse and all those things to work through in my life. And then I, you know, that was precipitated in 09, which kind of kicked me into high gear as a, as a drunk and a coke head. And then, you know, that accelerated through, uh, I stopped the coke, but kept on the drinking for you know, six years. And then I went through a, another bad divorce. And then I, you know, then it was like just everything kind of went off the rails, um, through two, you know, separate kind of traumatic experiences. And it was just, I, I remember, thinking to myself, I'm too scared to die and I'm too afraid to be this sick. So I guess the option is quit being sick and then see if you want to die. So I, I chose to not be sick. Um, I was the, <laughs> my, my rehab at the time, I went to a great little rehab center in Colorado called New Beginnings and I walked in sober and they hadn't seen anybody come in sober in like three months. Um, <laughs> because it, I guess that didn't happen in rehab. Um, mm -hmm. So I came, I came strolling through the door, you know, one week sober because my mom had checked me and it took us a week to find them and then a week to get the finances lined up and a week to do all the things. Right. Okay. I guess we got to figure this out. <laughs> By the time it was all over, you know, I strolled through the doors, you know, a week sober um, still detoxing. Uh, when I, I checked into, or when I, when they blew my, when I did the breathalyzer on me at the detox center, I was at two point six. So I was damn near dead. I was more booze than man. Um, mm -hmm. So that's the story. And you know, there was no gateway drug for me. It was booze, which is where I started. Um, trauma was the gateway, and that's that's the deal. And that trauma taught me to people please as well. And that taught me to be externally validated as well. It taught me to blend into the woodwork as well. It taught me to be wallpaper, not forward thinking as well. And all of those modalities, all of that dishonesty that was, you know, building and building and building and building finally came to a fever pitch in the form of I, I exploded into alcoholism. Um, mm -hmm. It cost me everything. I mean, it cost me my house. It cost me. Um, my marriage, it cost me a business. It cost me, you know, it cost me everything. Um, and now it doesn't. <laughs> so it's the beauty of sobriety, <laughs> right? Um, weirdest thing, you know, you, you cut that thing out of your life and you notice everything else. I think, um, and by the way, sobriety was not an easy journey for me, uh, by any stretch. It's not like I quit in 2018 and then I was, I was sober the whole time. That's not, a, that would be mm -hmm. a fucking full lie. Like I, nope. 
Um, and uh, plenty, plenty, plenty of lapses in my sobriety, plenty of them until I figured it out. Um, and the rooms got me there. They got me, they got me sobered up every time I would go Mm -hmm. back in, they got me sobered up, but I didn't find my path that way, which was interesting. Um, I worked with another company, um, when I started to recognize that my lapses in sobriety weren't my relapses, right? Like when I stopped kicking my ass um, mm-hmm. and really stopped counting time so much, and this was just my journey, of course, yours is different mm-hmm. and everybody's is different. But when I stopped really counting time, then the time didn't matter. And then I was managed and then I was sober. <laughs> it was weird. Right. Um, right. When I took, when I took the lag measure away um, as a goal and said, I'm just, you know, today is the day. That's how I'm going to do it. So, it, you know, the just for the day thing always worked been my journey yeah that's one of that's one of my favorites just for today Mm -hmm. all i can think about is today i can't i can't look too far in the future i don't want to stress out about things like i just want to do what i can do today be in today (laughs) well if you think about what alcohol does that's what it's supposed to do too um if you know when you talk about the inhibited you know the uninhibited alcohol right that's what it creates it lowers those walls of inhibition well when it does that it creates a mentality that you are in that moment that's why so many people fights it's why so many people do dumb shit they jump on cars like because you're not you're not able to think progressively forward so when you lean deeply into that and say okay just today then you're giving your brain that same uninhibited viewpoint um with a bit of logic and that's mm-hmm. i think why it works so much so have you done a lot of trauma specific work I mean, like everybody knows you can go to treatment for sure. whatever addiction you have, right? Mm-hmm. But there's also trauma treatment, right? There are treatment programs and facilities for trauma. There are trauma intensives that you can go to and, you know, do workshops that are a few days to sure. a couple of weeks. I mean, there are all these different ways to really just dig into trauma, period. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and. Um. The thing with trauma is it has so many side effects, right? Certainly with addiction, when you have unresolved trauma, it makes staying sober incredibly difficult for a lot of people. So for me on the professional side, when I'm having to send somebody to treatment over and over again, or when I do an intervention on somebody, I don't, it's not a bad thing when people relapse. Most people will relapse multiple times before sobriety sticks. That's not necessarily an issue. You do want to see improvement, right? I want the relapses to get farther apart and shorter. And I want them to be shorter, right? But when I'm, when I have somebody that it really just isn't sticking and we're a year or 18 months in and we've done multiple treatment centers and we've tried AA and smart recovery and all the things, you know, and it still isn't sticking. I know at that point, really, we're treating the wrong issue, right? right? And what what we're really coming at is symptoms of trauma and and the trauma has to be at least lowered (laughs) where the side effects of the trauma can be lower right. so that you can stay sober easier. Right. So did um, you, did you go do, I mean, EMDR, a therapist or a program, did you do anything specific to trauma oh, yeah. like that? Uh, absolutely. I saw a therapist um, four times a month for three years, it, it, you know, through every one of my relapses and through every, you know, or lapses. I, I call them lapses because a relapse to me 
means that I got worse and I didn't have, you know, any of those times. Um, I never went back the way I was, which was mm-hmm. awesome. You know, I've managed to, yeah. I, I'm a, I'm a, well, that's private, progress, right? I mean, right? that's I'm what a we private want to see. Pilot, so I look at, I'm like, okay, I can create this and crash the fucking plane or I can, <laughs> I can figure out how to not do that. Um, so I would correct course relatively easily. I think that was also through, um, through therapy. I think, it, you know, I, yeah. rehabs are great. Uh, they're fine. Um, you get a, you get a sense of being in a family and everybody loves each other. And then, you know, that, you know, the story, everybody loves their rehab class and then everybody relapses, you know, it's a thing. Um, the, the funny thing I, I always feel about rehab, especially in the United States, our rehab centers are just garbage historically. And they're a great place to go and get sober. They're, a, they're a safe place for that. Um, but you're in a 30 mm-hmm. day timeline, you're not going to get what you need to be successfully sober because we still think that, you know, people still look at the disease of addiction as the problem and it's not discontent and a lack of acceptance is the problem. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so I I tell people all the time that if you want to be sober, be happy because happiness equals sobriety. Um, Sobriety doesn't equal happiness almost ever. In fact, sobriety generally means accepting so you have to find happiness to maintain sobriety. You don't stay sober to find happiness. Yeah. So what is one of the most common mistakes you see people make with people pleasing? Dishonesty. <laughs> oh, explain. Um, we live in a world uh, where everybody's a narcissist. Look at TikTok and Instagram anyway. You got narcissistic parents, narcissistic, narcissistic boyfriends, and narcissistic teachers, and everybody's a narcissist. Anytime anybody's mean to you, they're a narcissist. And that's absolute shit. Um, but if you really look at what's happening in life, people pleasers will gaslight you just as bad as any narcissist will. And I love people pleasers. I was one, right? But I'll tell you the truth, which is we live in an age of dishonesty. Okay. Um, so I'll give you an example. Let's say you're supposed to meet somebody for a coffee and you are 25 minutes away from the place you're supposed to meet them. And they call you on the phone and go, Hey, where are you? How many minutes away are you? Is it going to be 25? Are you going to tell them you were 30 minutes late? Or are you going to tell them you're five minutes away, but traffic's really bad? That's a lie. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and people pleasers love to do shit like that. Okay. And and there's also the delineators. Of course you have like the white lie versus the, versus the the black lie. Right. Um, and the difference is like a white lie is just mostly withholding necessary information, right. (laughs) Where you don't quite tell the whole thing. Right. Um, so one of the things I see a lot in people pleasing is, um, this there's almost a, a cognitive disconnect or a cognitive dissonance where they don't realize how profoundly dishonest they are. And that dishonesty is a result of a lack of self-image or a lack of a healthy self-image because they don't understand that they are allowed to have boundaries. They are allowed to 
fail. They are allowed to under-communicate. They are allowed to um, misrepresent themselves and then go back and correct it. They are like, these are like, you're allowed to overcommit and then ask for help. Holy shit. Who knew? Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> right? Yeah, um, I mean, really, nobody's telling you that. <laughs> right. No. Um, and, it, you know, when you look at the lies, too, it's like, my favorite one, my phone died. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. Didn't want to talk to that person. So you hung up, right? My favorite okay. one is I don't have time. And right. I always say, you you have time, right? It's not a priority. That's the truth. It's not right. a priority. And I right. use the example. I'm like, listen, if you dropped your phone and broke it right now, you would have time to go to mm-hmm. the store and get a new phone, right? right. Because it's a priority. So right. it's not really that you don't have time. It's just that whatever it is, isn't a priority. And that's okay. But you're exactly right. It's like, we have to get honest about what what's really going on. Right. My, some of my other favorites are like when you pretend to understand something, you, you truly don't understand, or you act like you've seen a movie that you actually didn't see. And you're just hoping that somebody will, you know, maybe look it over or whatever, you know? Um, and these little things, they sound like nothing. Telling somebody you have plans when you don't or telling yourself you try to work out or saying you're fine when you're not. They sound so innocuous. They sound like absolutely nothing. There's nothing wrong. But what's happening inside of you is very different. You're violating your integrity every time you do that. And when you violate your integrity, you're teaching yourself that you have no voice. Not even that it doesn't matter, that it doesn't fucking exist. When you make that kind of delineation to your subconscious, you are creating a very dangerous environment for what can and can't be in your life. If you are living your life with no integrity, you're fucked. Right. And this is one of those things I always say addiction needs two things to thrive. It needs you to be isolated and alone, Mm -hmm. and it needs you to feel like crap about yourself. And this Mm -hmm. is one of those things that will make you feel like crap about yourself that you don't even think of that you might do 20 times a day and you think it's benign and it's no big deal. It's just a little white lie. It's not hurting anybody, but you're hurting you because then you nailed it. Like you're, you're damaging your own integrity and you're not going to have a healthy self-confidence when you undermine yourself. Right. You cannot have a valid and believable self image if you don't be real about what's real. And I think, I think the things that piss people off the most about people displeaser is that if you ask me a question, I will be doggedly fucking honest with you. Hey, do you want to go out and do something tonight? I do not. Why not? Right. I don't want to spend time with you. (laughs) I just don't want to. Right. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't have to make an excuse. There's an old, um, there's an old story about excuses and excuse making is always dishonest. It's always dishonest. It's never, never right. There's never really an excuse, but there's a story about, um, a guy who asks to borrow another man's ax and the, and the guy with the ax responds, no, you can't borrow my ax because, you know, my wife's making dinner tonight. And then he asks again, he's like, no, I don't think you understand. You, you can't, can I borrow your ax? No, sorry, my wife's making dinner tonight. And they go, and this goes on for a minute. And finally, he says, "Okay, listen, motherfucker. What does the what does the axe and the dinner have to do with each other?" He says, "If I don't want you to borrow my axe, any excuse will do." <laughs> right? 
the fact of the matter is you don't have to have an excuse. Right. Right. So I've used that on people before in context or in, in other ways. Like, you know, hey, do you want to go out to dinner tonight? No, I'm having popcorn. <laughs> right. You got to be. And the yeah, other part of there, this is. Go ahead. Is there another layer to this of people pleasing, excuse making thing? Does it tie in with personalizing things also? Because. I see this so often when you decline an invitation, people will really personalize that. Like you don't Mm -hmm. like them. You don't want to hang out with them. And I had this situation several years ago, this um, girl who I adore invited me to a concert. She had an extra ticket and I declined, right? Well, I declined because that sounds terrible. I don't want to go to a concert. I have crowd trauma, right? I'm a total freaking introvert. Like it just sounds terrible on every level for me. Now she would have said, can I come to your house and watch television with you? I would have said, absolutely. (laughs) But I declined the invitation because it's just not my thing. And Mm -hmm. she really got her feelings hurt, right? Like She personalized it and she made it like I didn't want to spend time with her. And And it kind of made me mad, honestly, because I was like, why do I have to explain myself? Like, why can't I just have my own issues (laughs) that don't have anything to do with anybody else, you know? But is this like, is this a normal combination of things? Well, okay. So that's a great question. The the first question I'm going to ask in return as we do this Socratic interview is what do you feel is the number one belief system present with addiction, alcoholism, and people. Well, I think it's all lack of self-esteem. Sure. But what is, what is the story that they normally tell themselves? So my experience is less I'm than I'm, I'm not, not good, good enough. enough. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So what are they trying to prove? That they're Smart good enough. enough good enough, worthy, cool enough, mm-hmm. they're worthy, right? So yeah, personalization is a massive deal, right? Um, and it's, interestingly enough, all of, whether it's addiction or whether it's people-pleasing or whether it's narcissism, they're all profoundly selfish modalities, every single one. Um, and that's part of the other parallels, is that when you're focused outward, you're actually focused inward. Because you're giving mm-hmm. to get, you're not giving out of genuine spirit. You're not giving out of love and generosity. You're giving because you want people to appreciate you. Or you're giving because you want, you know, people to like you. That's, I think, one of the biggest problems inside of that whole world is that I see people, you know, and that and that all stems also from dishonesty. If you can't look at yourself and know why you're doing a thing, you shouldn't do it. I love this conversation because I feel like people can really identify with all of these pieces. What would you tell somebody who's just, who's in this space of like, I know I'm a people pleaser. I've got to get it together. Like, how do you start? It's, there's a variance. Um, you know, I do a lot of one-on-one work. Um, so I think everybody shows up different. The interesting thing that I think a lot of people don't pay much attention to is that they're not special. And um, I don't treat my clients like they're very special. So I, I think that's frustrating for some of the people that work with me. Um, but for the most part, the starting gate is learning to say no. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I, I teach people 
in the very beginning of their work with me is how to say no as a default, because most people think they don't know how to say no. It's not the problem. They don't know how not to say yes. And when you think yeah. about the, when you think about what a default habit is, if you look at what a habit is built on, right, it's built on external triggers that cause an internal response that cause a, a predetermined you know, action, right? Because it's, it's a default. Um, mm-hmm. So when you think about, I'm not going to drink anymore. Okay. Well, you're ending one habit. You have to create another habit mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to put in its place, whatever it is. Um, my, when I was in AA, my sponsor used to tell me, go have a piece of pie anytime you want to drink. So I don't want to get fat. And he goes, yeah, but you won't get arrested for fat driving. So, <laughs> you know, um, but going back to this idea of where do people start? They start with honesty, um, mostly. Um, and no is the most honest thing you can say. No is the most honest word in the English dictionary. Um, and I don't, I don't think it's, it gets enough credit. So one of the exercises I have people do is my favorite one um, to start is they have to say no to everything, literally everything for an entire week. Now, oh, if you're going to love that, if you're going to take that exercise on, there's a couple of suggestions I would make. The first, of course, being um, tell people around you that you're doing this so they don't think you're a dick, right? Because one of the other misconceptions inside the people pleasing space is that the opposite of being a people pleaser is being a dick. You know, the opposite of being a people pleaser right. is being honest. The opposite of being a people pleaser is kindness. So, when you look at what we have to work with, we start with something really hard, like saying no to everybody on everything for an entire week, whether it's business, whether it's personal, whether it's your wife, whether it's your kids, the answer is no. Now you also reserve the right. So in here, the rules of the game are you say no all the time, but you reserve two rights. You can change your mind at any time, but you have to say no first and you have to communicate that you're doing this to the top five people in your life. What people learn very quickly is that their no doesn't fucking matter to anybody. Number one. Yes. Right. Yeah. But number two, there's a really interesting inherent value that I don't think people can give enough credit to, which is it's a lot easier to come back from a no than it is to come back from a yes. So if I had said, Angela, I'd love to get on your podcast. And then I called you an hour before now said, Angela, can't make it. What am I? Dick. Right, dick. <laughs> what a piece of shit that Really, is. I would have been like, oh, I'll take a nap. That's beautiful. Right, <laughs> right. you and me both, right? Um, but in, real, in reality, if it's dinner or if it's, you know, going on a date or, you know, drinks with a friend or whatever the case is, um, if you say yes and then change your mind, you haven't honored your word. If you say no and change your mind, well, why you're a fucking hero. Yeah, you're under-promising and over-serving. We all right. love that. Well, I love which, that. Right, which means it takes the pressure off the decision, right? and it also helps you default program and allow yourself to take time. So once you have that skill set mastered, and it really only takes about a week to set that habit. It's really interesting. It's one of the easier habits to set is saying no. It changes yeah, the framework. Yeah, because I think it's only... It's only really painful the first time or two that you do it. Once right. you realize that exactly what you said, nobody cares about your no, nobody, right? Like everybody survives a hundred percent of the time when you say right. no. And once you realize that, that there's not all of this stuff attached to saying no, then you 
there's a lot of freedom in it. Oh my God. <laughs> I think you can so, embrace it and really enjoy yeah. it. I did this with one of my uh, very, he's a very successful uh, real estate client of mine. And he texted me the day after um, he started the exercise. And he's like, my wife hated this for like 10 seconds and now she loves it. And he was saying that like, everybody's like, what do you mean? No. He's like, no. They're like, oh, okay. He's like, the amount of problems that have not shown up on my desk in the last 24 hours is astounding. Human beings are, if nothing else, we are self-serving. And that's just just part of what the human genetic makeup is. We are creatures that need to take care of ourselves. So we do that. Everybody has a bit of narcissism, whether we like it or not. So when when you know that, you have to understand that saying yes all the time will overcommit you, overwhelm you, and keep you undervalued and underappreciated. The other thing that it happens in this in this exercise is that your yes then becomes sacred and people look for it rather than expect it. And that's a totally And they game. feel and it makes them feel very special when they get a yes from you. Right. Right. Because if because you devalue you value Right. You value yourself and your time and you're not just giving it freely and it makes them value you as well. Right. And if you're, if you don't value your commitments, then nobody else will either. And if you commit to everything and then you can only like partially deliver on anything, then you aren't of value to anyone. Right. So, you know, one of the things I do is I say no to more clients than I say yes. And that's, that's the God's honest truth. Like I turn away probably 35 to 40% of the people that want to work with me in general. And then the other, you know, there's a portion of them that can't afford me, but for a lot of people, I turn them to therapists. I turn them to addiction counseling. I turn them to other things because they're not ready for me. Um, and I do that because I value what I contribute to my clients. So if, if you look at the level of engagement in my, in my work, you know, I'm text messaging all day long. I am on the phone with them an hour a week. I follow up on their homework follow up on the assignments and the shit I ask them to do. Like I am constantly in their life at that level. I can't sustain more than nine clients at any given time. Right. So I don't, I will, I will not sign after, after three clients in a month, I will not sign anymore. So, you know, my books are, I'm already all the way through January right now. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I may have one open up, but I'm, I'm booking that far out. You have to meet the qualifications to work with me because if you if you're going to do the work, I'm going to get results, and that's the issue. Is like if I if I don't think I can help somebody, the answer is no. I won't even say yes for right. money. Right. No. Amen to that. I'm the same way. Right. And it, I think it's also probably a little different on the addiction side, right? Where uh, help is sometimes a life and death kind of situation, right? It's kind of a big deal Mm -hmm. (laughs) most of the time. Like we're spiraling, we're spiraling quickly by the time we're reaching out for help. Mm -hmm. Um, At the same time, there's no way to say yes to everybody, not only for the time commitment, because I think people don't understand as a coach how how committed you are to a client when you're working with them. Certainly me and it sounds like you, right? Like it's a huge time commitment on my part. And I'm the same way. I'm texting. I work seven days a week. I'm always in contact with my people. I'm Mm -hmm. doing last minute sessions because the shit hits the fan, right? Like I'm in, if you're in with me, I'm in a hundred percent. And 
you also have to be in the right space to do that work, right? A lot of people, and I'm sure you experience this as a coach too, you get oftentimes people will think that you as the coach are the magic pill. Right. And it's like, I'm not the magic pill. I can give you a lot of answers and a lot of information. We can walk through a lot of stuff. We can make changes. I know a lot of stuff, right? And I'm happy to share it all. But you have to be the person that shows up and does the work. And you have to be the person that fights through the moments of discomfort and fights through the triggers and the cravings. And what do you have to be in that space mentally and emotionally to do that part of it? Because I can't do that for you. Right. And who do you have? That's the other part that's like, yeah, you can't say yes to everybody because not everybody's in that right space. And I have no desire to take somebody's money and have them not get results. Oh yeah. Right. Um, like that doesn't, I have, I don't want any part of that. No, it's bad for business. It's bad for the results I get. It's bad for my, my self-esteem as well. And I don't want any of that. I don't want to be a part of that. No. Okay. I love that first step. Say no to everything. I really love that. That's a good one. That's a great baseline to set, right? To just it's start my favorite doing one. it it's, differently. It yeah. I love it. so I mean, uncomfortable. It, it, yeah, it's it's good to set that baseline and really mm-hmm. take action and, and doing something different. And that's one of my favorite things to do on this show really is tell people how to do it, not just the right. what it is or why we need to do it or what the effects of not doing it are. It's like, yeah, yippee. Like, what do I do on a <laughs> daily basis right. to do this differently? Tell me that part, you know? Right. So I really appreciate that. Okay. Tell everybody where they can find you on social media. I know you said it earlier, but say it again. So the, my, I have two, you know, I think my main account is TikTok. Um, I've got 150,000 about we're getting there, um, on TikTok followers. Um, but my handle there is people displeaser. And then if you want to find me on Instagram, it's the people displeaser. Um, and then, okay, it, I you know, right. Just, I, I managed to brand them both. Thank God. Um, but I will be, um, you know, launching courses and those types of things coming soon. I do have a free thing I'm putting out, um, kind of a five day mini masterclass. Um, part of this for me is I want to give away enough information that if somebody wants to solve it themselves, they can. And I don't, yes. uh, you know, I don't have to sell something to everybody that comes to my site. or comes Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, I hate the term blessed because you know, it's weird. It's like the harder I work, the more blessed I become. And the more people I serve, the more blessed I become. And the more people I get to love on them, the more blessed I become. And um, so I've just been, I'm just grateful. Um, I'm grateful to you for this opportunity. This has been a lot of fun. I, I never know what to expect podcasts. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I know I, in the beginning, when I first started my podcast, I recorded all my episodes in person because I've always traveled so much. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've been an interventionist. I've been an interventionist for a million years, right? So I'm always flying somewhere, doing an intervention, getting the person, flying them to treatment somewhere else. And sure. whenever I'd be going somewhere, I would just set up interviews, right? Yeah. And I would record in person. And in the very beginning, I had everybody hold their microphone. And I got to tell you, that's a different monster because people get the microphone and freeze. If you're listening to this and, and you want to know, you know how hard the battle was for me um, to where I am today, it was fucking brutal. Like, it, was, it, it was walking through you know, relapse after relapse. It was standing back up. It was fighting again. It was extending sobriety and then extending again, extending again. You know, 
you, the, the thing that I would say, if you want to love yourself, right, is just do better next time, do better the next time and do better the next time and right. stop kicking your ass over 30 days, 40 days, 50 days, 51 days, 51 and a half days. None of that shit really right. matters. matters if you're happy. And yeah, um, I always say too, you know, relapse is just feedback. You know, whenever yeah. you have a lapse, it's just feedback. It's just your recovery, whatever recovery you're working on. It's just your recovery right. saying, Hey, we don't have it quite right yet. Right. Like right. we got to tweak something. We don't, something's not enough or we're missing a piece, but it is, it's just feedback. It just means right. you don't quite have it figured out for that season because you also have to be flexible with, <laughs> with your right. journey too, because we grow and evolve so quickly when you really get into personal development and personal growth, you change so fast. So all the stuff that you do has to be growing and evolving with you too. Right. When you care about you, you will stay sober. Nick, thank you so much for coming on and having this conversation with me. I think um, we should talk about doing some collaborations and I would love that. keep the conversation going. Thanks for Absolutely. coming Absolutely. My pleasure. You've reached the end of another great episode of the Addiction Unlimited podcast. Candid and honest conversation about addiction and recovery. Be sure to visit us at addictionunlimited.com to join the conversation and access show notes and links to everything we talked about. Love this episode? Please take 30 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes to help us improve and give you the information you want. Thanks for listening. See you next week.